0: Thank you, Bart. Uh, your pastor is, is outside of my wife, my best friend, as, as he was saying, very grateful uh, just at the gift that he is to me, the anchor that his friendship has been in my life, my entire life. Bart, as you can tell by looking, is much older than I am, and so my whole life, I've known his presence. And I'm grateful for the gift that he is, and for this church, just feel such a connection to fullness over the years. Just watching, uh, learning, observing, and coming back from time to time, getting to see many familiar faces. Uh, we love you. We thank God for you, and we've actually had the privilege of—I I, don't—I don't really understand how this works, but we've sent people to Birmingham, so the Coons and. Donagans and others. Usually, people come to South Florida, but for some reason, people want to come from South Florida to Birmingham, and so we've sent a few. At, we really we, we believe in sowing and reaping. So some of you someday are going to retire. Just come to South Florida, and and help us and be a part of what God's doing there. Um, I'd like to just uh, go to the book of Titus, and I invite you to open to the book of Titus. And I want to follow up a little bit on the series that you've been in, entitled Prepare, and preach a message that I hope will complement that and encourage you. And I want to start with Titus chapter 3, the first verse. And before I read the scripture, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you in this moment and we just... We just ask for the help of your Holy Spirit as we open the word. I thank you for the sense of your presence in this place, for the encouragement and strength that we've already received. We pray, Lord, that that would now continue through the ministry of the word. I pray, God, that we would understand, respond in faith, and be renewed as you speak to us from the scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. I'd like to talk to you about preparing your life for good works. To live a life carefully devoted to good works. In fact, this little book, Titus, is written by the Apostle Paul to a son in the Lord, Titus. Titus is building a church. Really, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus Titus, are, are instructions given to a pastor, what we would call a lead pastor in a local church, telling those sons in the Lord how to build the church. And the book of Titus, uh, it's interesting, this short little book, six times... Paul references good works. It's a theme of the book, really how good works flow out of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Good works flow out of our understanding of the gospel, out of the good news of Jesus Christ and who He is. I, I must admit that Bart is probably right when he tells you that South Florida is a foreign country. We're multicultural. Cultural, our church is multicultural, cultural uh, we are um, a third white, a third black, and a third Spanish, and we've just hired a pastor, and we, we've been diverse in all of our leadership, our eldership, uh, our uh, staff, on every level, but we've not really had an opportunity until now to diversify our staff. Part of that reason is our pastors never leave. Like myself, I just stay around forever, and we... Just sent out two pastors this last year. One had been with us 15 years, and he's going to be lead pastor 20 minutes down the road. And then another pastor went to Philadelphia who'd been with us a long time to be a lead pastor there. And we've hired a gentleman, African-American from New Jersey. It's going to fit right in in South Florida. So I was interviewing Edward. I talked to him a long time. I was trying to help this this new friend, understand what it was like to move to South Florida. And I said, Edward, you know, we have people from all over the world. You know, what are you? How would you describe yourself? And he said, man, I am regular black. That's what I am. a regular black. I said, well, you're going to fit right in. And we are excited in welcoming him. But uh, it's not just our diversity. I know it's a foreign country because we drove from here to Alabama, uh, South Georgia, and then back. And then... As we're driving, I see this billboard that says, go to church or the devil will get you. I said, only in Alabama. <laughs> and you know, I have a feeling you know this billboard, right? And I'm thinking, um, with graphics and all, picture of the devil. <laughs> it's amazing. So I took a picture and I started sending to my friends Say, hey, I'm in Alabama. This is what people in Alabama do. Uh, and I said, well, obviously they know all about good works because their billboards uh, tell you, go to church or the devil will get you. Uh, I think we know that the good works that are described here, are called for here, or are a little different than... Uh, the good works that we sometimes traditionally think, where we are somehow earning our standing with God. And so what I I would like to do is I'd just like to take you... I'm going to just preach the entire book of Titus, if that's okay. Uh, I'll do it quickly. But I'd like to look at those six references just to give you an overview because it's very powerful. If you remember, Paul is telling Titus how to build the church. And so... uh, he, he begins and if you go to chapter 1 verse 16 he's talking to Titus about selecting leaders and the qualifications to look for and he talks about bad leaders and he gets into this section where he, he tells he tells Titus, listen, uh, avoid a certain kind of teacher they, they get off track they don't stay on the main thing and they to, they teach and he gives specific examples they te- teach Jewish myths they they go into strange teaching, strange ways to be moral and right with God, and they take advantage of people, and they do it for their own gain. And when he gets to the end of that section, he states, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and here's the phrase, unfit for any good work. And then he moves into describing in the positive what a leader should be, and he begins in chapter 2, verse 1. And there, at verse 7, he gives a summary statement where he's challenging Titus as a leader, as he's encouraging him to model good leadership. He states, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And so this is really the first observation, the first point. Leaders model a life of good works. Leaders model a life of good works. So choose leaders that model a life of good works. Cultivate leaders. And just in case there's uh, any confusion, let me do this. Let me go to the last reference in Titus to bring some clarity to exactly what Paul means. Verse 14 of the last chapter, chapter 3. Paul is closing out this little book and he writes, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Now, this is the next to the last verse in Titus. This, this is Paul's uh, parting instruction to his son. I mean, that, that, that carries a certain weight, a certain gravity. This is important. This, don't forget this. I'll come back to this verse in a minute, but he gives a definition here of exactly what he means. Helping cases of urgent need. This is the fruitfulness, in part, significantly, that God desires from you and me as a Christian. And I, I think in many ways that's the DNA of this church. I, I've seen it over the years. I I, I hear it in, in the partners that, that you partner with, like this beautiful couple that just shared and Um, Our our church, Riverside Church in South Florida, we just had an opportunity last month to send a a gift to the Rosses in Ethiopia and to participate in in just their remarkable story of of how they're wanting to share what God has given them to others. Um, Helping people who are in need. This is the call of God for us in life, at least in part. And it's a qualification or an indication of good leadership. Okay, secondly, let's move to verse 11 of chapter 2, verse 11. Now, this is an important paragraph because it's one of the clearest statements of purpose in Scripture. If you want to know what you're here for... Paul gives you three life purposes in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Uh, and he talks about how it's completely uh, connected, traced to who Jesus is and the message of God's grace. He begins, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, that that's... That's a a summary statement of the good news in Jesus Christ, that there's salvation in Jesus, there's forgiveness in Jesus, there's eternal life in Jesus, and he's telling us that with the appearance of Christ, the promises of God are now available to us, and it's grace, it's God's gift. And he begins, training us. Now, hold on to this phrase. The, the, The message of who Jesus is, the good news that you are completely forgiven because of nothing that you do on your own, but God's gift to you, God's mercy, trains us. It is the power of God. Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus, because it is the power of God. If you need power in your life, you're going to find it in two ways according to Scripture. The Spirit of God and the Word of God. And the Word of God specifically that centers on the promise of who Jesus is, and all that He does for you. And when we lack power, there will be the temptation to say, okay, I've got to do better, I've got to accomplish, I've got to be more this, and then God will accept me, and then God will give me power, and that's contrary to everything that Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches us, no, power comes as this truth of who Jesus is and what He's done, Takes residence in our hearts, and the Spirit of God just brings that to life, and the love of God explodes in our hearts. We are empowered by the presence of God, specifically His Word and His Spirit. So, God's message training us as we meditate on this truth, as the gospel gets massaged into our hearts. Three purposes. Number one, verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled. Upright and godly lives in the present age. Our first purpose in Christ is holiness. To live a lifestyle where we've renounced a certain way. We've renounced ungodliness and worldly passions. And we give ourselves to the Lord to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives right now. Verse 13. Waiting for our blessed Hope, our blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think the second purpose in our salvation is relationship with Jesus Christ. We are so captivated by who Jesus is that we are longing for for His return. We are praying that the Lord would come quickly. I preached a sermon just maybe 12 months ago. It got me in a little bit of trouble. It, it, it was uh, basically a sermon that said bucket lists are not biblical. The whole idea of a bucket list, is, is, it just indicates that we don't get it. That we're going to heaven. We're going to heaven. We're going to receive new bodies. And then we are talking about you know I've just got to do certain things before I get to heaven. When I uh, when I got married thirty two two years ago, uh, my wife and I um, is it thirty two years? I'm not even sure how long. It's several decades ago. <laughs> we were going to Hawaii for our honeymoon. And. Uh, I just want to tell you honestly, I was not thinking about all the things I wanted to do before I went on my honeymoon. I was thinking about, I want to go on my honeymoon. I want to go to Hawaii with this person. And the the whole idea of, you know, before I die, I've just got to jump out of an airplane. No, in heaven, I'll have wings. I'll fly, right? It's just anything that we can comprehend. Now, I'm, of course... As, as you can guess, I'm, I'm just poking fun. It's wonderful to enjoy this creation. It's, I, I give that disclaimer. It's, it's beautiful just to enjoy life to the glory of God. But as believers, we are longing for Jesus to come back because we just can't wait to see him. We want to know him more. So there's this, um, this emphasis of, I want to live a life that pleases him, and I want to know, know Jesus. I think sometimes, if I can be honest, um, we stop right there. We stop right there and we say, okay, that's my purpose. I, I got saved. I'm just trying to get cleaned up and waiting for Jesus to come back. But Paul continues and he, he, he builds a little momentum here. He kind of repeats himself in a little different way. He says, Jesus, who gave, verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession okay right there i think what he's done is he's repeated purposes one and two jesus gave himself to cleanse us and for us to be his to belong to him now remember this comes as we just keep as the gospel gets deeper and deeper and deeper into the truth Of all that Jesus is for you, all that He's done for you, as you trust in Him, that power transforms your heart. And we grow deeper in our knowledge of Him and in our desire to be completely His. And then He lands on this culminating purpose for His own possession who are zealous for good works. We are a people, third purpose, who are zealous for good works, for helping people who are in urgent need. And that's a powerful statement so far that just just in this survey that we're seeing Paul make, so that when we get to chapter 3, we understand the impact of what he communicates. He says, remind people, remind them To be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. I think this is what Paul is saying. He's saying when when we know Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God lives within us, we want to be ready. We will restructure our lives so that we can help other people. I have have six kids. They're scattered all over and... um, the last one is a sophomore at Texas A&M. And uh, this past year, two graduated from Texas A&M. Now, we don't send all our kids to Texas A&M, but I, I didn't realize when I married a girl from Texas that this was, this was what was going to happen. Just be careful. I just caution you right now. Two of them graduated last year, and I feel like I got this massive raise, Right? Our whole life in, in one way has been, we, we've been thinking about, okay, we, we were raising six kids, we, we, uh, we had four, and then we just felt like God wanted to do more, and we adopted two from Africa when they were 12 and 9, and they just got right in the middle of the birth order. So we actually had five kids in college at one time. And yeah, it was, it was stupid. It was just crazy. <laughs> stupid crazy. And uh, there was this moment when I looked at college bills was greater than my take-home pay, like all my take-home pay. So this really increases your faith when you, uh, when, when you believe God's called you to this. So my wife and I, we, we actually like, we were looking when the other, when the two graduated, and we say, saying, wow. We're rich. <laughs> we're not rich, but now we're thinking, okay, can we pay off debt from college? Can we get a plan to get financially free, not so we can buy this or buy that? We want in some way to say, Lord, we want to be ready for what you have for us next. And I know many of you, I know many of you are living your life, where you say, okay, I want to structure my life so I can know the joy of God flowing through me to do more. Because we know what it is to be under... We know how financial pressure prevents us when that opportunity comes and we say, no, I want to do that, but I can't. Now, specifically, Paul makes a unique application here. He says, one of the ways, and you'll see as we move through this chapter, uh, this next paragraph at least, one of the ways that we close the door to helping other people is we're just... Our attitude is difficult. We're just not nice to people, and so he, so he begins with this, just submit to authorities. Now, authorities—he's talking about Rome here. He's talking about an un- ungodly authority, and he's telling us it's not—it's not a message. Don't be politically active. I think it is a message. Be careful how you are politically active, because our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is to see the love of Jesus go to other people in word and deed. And there are ways that we can behave that will close that door. So he continues, verse 2. Be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people on Facebook. All right, it's a great verse for social media to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now, he's going to make the connection in these next verses. He's going to make that gospel connection. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another that is a powerful good news paragraph he's saying this is who we were without christ and this is who we are because of christ and if we if we remember that and that truth becomes our identity then our whole life will be will be organized the central organizing Power of our lives will be the mercy that we receive from Jesus and the mercy that we showed to other people. And that we never leave that pathway. That we continually, for the rest of our lives, in Jesus Christ, just receive His mercy so that it flows to other people and it connects to other people in that it is really defining for us. He makes that clear in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy. Now, there's a a series of trustworthy sayings in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. It's, It's a way where Paul tries to reduce down to a summary statement. And he doesn't rephrase it, but he's clearly talking about what he's just said. This is who we are without Christ, and this is who we are with Christ. And he's saying... He's just driving home this fact. It's God's mercy. We receive it. It's a gift. And it's not only, sometimes we'll do good for people. We'll let go of offense. But it's not just the removal of the negative, but it's the new life, the outpouring of the Spirit who now lives within us. All of that, he's saying, that's a trustworthy statement. That's at the heart of who we are and what we believe. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to to insist on these things so that, or as a result, in order that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Boy, That really removes all all doubt that this is who we are and this is how we experience joy in God. When When I began ministry, Uh, 30 plus years ago, at the church that I'm still at, we used to think in terms of there were churches that were faithful to the word, and then there were churches that did social justice. And that if you were a church known for doing social justice, helping people, then you were probably known as a liberal church that really didn't teach the word. And if you were a church that really was true to the word, then you weren't a church that really was out there on the street helping people. And one of the beautiful changes that I've observed and enjoyed over these last three decades is that God has removed that false dichotomy. He's removed that separation, and churches are getting it. We're both word and deed. Just as Jesus was word and deed, it's, it's so dis- beautifully displayed in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, Jesus comes, he announces the beginning of his ministry, and he, and it says he, he went about proclaiming the, the kingdom and healing the sick and and delivering those who were oppressed. And then the next few chapters, so you have this famous, great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, that describes for you a kingdom person. And then all of Matthew 8 and 9 are miracles. And then end of chapter 9, he gives that same description. Jesus went about proclaiming the kingdom, healing the sick, delivering those who are oppressed. And, and it's 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 a beautiful display of how we... Speak the truth, we proclaim the life that's in Jesus, and we help people who are hurting. When Peter, when Peter was helping the Gentiles, the first Gentile converts come to faith, Acts chapter 10, he described Jesus in this way. He said, God anointed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That You could take that as a summary statement of what you read in the Gospels about the life of Jesus, teaching and doing the kingdom. And so, out of this reality of the Gospel, we are invited to, as followers of Jesus, to center our lives on receiving the, the, the mercy of God and then funneling that to other other people. Um, we, we decided after a lot of prayer to homeschool our kids and uh, I I tell you that because uh, I, I had this naive, expectation when I started raising kids. If we make the right choices, we, we educate them in the right way, we protect them from the wrong influences, we do all the right things, they'll turn out okay. I didn't realize I couldn't protect them from me. Right? I didn't realize that sin was living right in my own house in such a Direct way. It's, it reminds me of the story where Charles Spurgeon, you know, he had a pastor's college, and uh, so the the students would preach. And one student, who's kind of full of himself, was preaching, and he's preaching on the spiritual armor, and and he he's talking about he he takes he through this whole dramatic presentation. He dresses himself in all the armor, and when he's done, he's like, "Okay, where's the devil?" And Spurgeon yells out, "He's in the armor." Okay, there's a point here. Stay with me, right? It's not for you to be fearful. Our hearts are drawn to legalism. Our hearts are drawn to a method. You know, if everyone does does it this way, they'll turn out okay. I actually think some of what Paul is cautioning against in the first, when he's talking about leaders, He's talking about leaders who who get hung up on methodologies to such an extent that they miss the centrality of who Jesus is. Now, you got to pray about how you educate your kids. It's a huge decision. You, you, you have to be wise about all of your life choices. Clearly, one of your purposes is for, for you to live a holy life. And if you're a parent, to live a life... You know, my my brother and I were talking about how we were taught to live lives that glorify God. That was, that I, I would say was the theme of my dad's life. And when he raised us, he never, ever said to us, listen, I'm a pastor. And because I'm a pastor, you can't do A, B, and C. Never said that. He always said, we live to glorify God. And this you can't do because this doesn't glorify God. And this would be true no matter what profession um, was mine. So we, we come to a place where we understand daily, daily, I need the mercy of God. I need God's mercy. I need God's mercy to be a man. I need God's mercy to be a pastor. I need God's mercy to be a husband. I need God's mercy to be a dad. And I, I would begin by saying, whatever fruit is in my life that is real and authentic, more than any, any other activity, it can be traced to prayer and receiving God's mercy. That identity becomes a part of us in a way where we're then freed to carefully devote ourselves to being others-focused. Um, I just recently, we, uh, we had two, two members of our, two parts of our congregation who were homeless come in to see me. One was a grandmother, and she came in, she had a a, a daughter. And a granddaughter, they were living in a car. And someone in our church was paying for her to live in a short-term hotel. And she was there illegally, be my suspicion. Um, We deal a lot with immigration issues in South Florida. And many times, it just complicates factors when we're interacting with people. Don't hear in that any political statement, please. Don't send me emails about your view on immigration. Tell your pastor he'd like to hear. He'd like to hear (laughs) your views on immigration. I'm here for you. And he'll get a billboard and put it outside of town and you'll be able to read it. I'm telling you this because it is so easy in this moment to say, I think you don't have papers. You can't get a job. I am overwhelmed. I don't know how to help you. And the, the, what, what helps us in this moment is this knowledge. This is a trustworthy saying. Jesus came. Jesus came for this reason. He came to help people who can't be helped. That are it's just impossible. And sometimes we are taking just short baby steps. We're prolonging. We we feel like we're just kicking the can down the road. But there is a demonstration of faith where we're just continuing to speak the message, to probe, to pray, to believe that God can help. The other situation was a woman who got saved. She got baptized. Sweet testimony. Three months later, shows up in my office and she says, "Listen, I got evicted," and. I am asking you, can I store my stuff here at the church? I said, no, you can't store your stuff at the church. We're not going to help you be homeless. Let us help you get a place. So we, we did a little diagnosis of her situation, and we realized we really had to help her for six months. And, and so I, <laughs> I, this is a good thing to remember. I called a friend, a Presbyterian pastor across town, and I asked him to pay for it, and he did. He did. So I don't know if it's this way here, but when you're in trouble, you need money. You call the Presbyterians where we live. So uh, they sent us five thousand dollars. They said we'll help you. We we are in a very. This is just. It's obviously it's a very close friend, and said I don't know if you can put me in touch. He goes no no no. Listen. You you help you do the 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 the. The work of oversight. Now, here's the crazy thing. I sat down with this dear lady. I laid out a plan. And she told me, no, no, uh, I'm okay. I don't need this. I've met someone on the Internet. I know. I know, right? Yeah, There's this place where I literally just want to beat my head against the wall. And so I express all my concerns. and no, oh, please don't do this. No, let us help you. You're not trapped. We're, you're, we're your church. We're going to stand with you. Now, you know what? He's, I'm telling you this story because you, you, you have your own set of stories, but to say, I believe that God has saved this woman, and this is a part of her journey. She didn't take the money, we and we're still walking in relationship with her, trying to help her. And, <laughs> and just spoiler alert, the relationship didn't work out. Yeah, I'm shocked. But it's not all bad. God's at work. This is the work of the Lord. I want to end here with this verse. The last verse. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. I'm in the last, next to the last verse of the book. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. There's a process here. We don't have it figured out. We don't have all the answers Um, there's a promise here. So he gives us this definition so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. This is a promise for fruitfulness. There's a transformation that God does in our lives when we begin to experience His mercy where we, we focus, we look outward, we think of others. And that, like all fruit, takes seasons to... Be cultivated and to appear in our lives, we are. We, we always feel that we are so far from having figured it out. And so, I want to leave you with this: think today about preparing and structuring your lives. Uh, I, I, I am not for a moment assuming you haven't done that or that you're not doing it. But think about your finances. Think about social media. Think about hospitality. Um, Think about your conversations. Are they intentional in terms of sharing the truth of Christ? Think about the opportunities that God is putting in front of you that may seem impossible. And um, certainly the opportunity when, when God brings right in front of you a chance to help those who are doing this work. Can we pray? Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for the glorious truths that are here. Thank you for this truth uh, of how we receive your mercy, Father, in Christ. And how, Lord, I just see this church in so many ways embodying this fruit of the gospel. And Lord, I'm filled with a sense of faith that you are increasing that here at fullness and through fullness as a blessing to this community. And I give you thanks, Lord. May your word increase now that fruitfulness by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's great to have you, Brian. Thank you. Um, we are uh, we're going to take up an offering. We want to worship God through the giving of an offering. And if you're a guest here, you're under no no obligation to give. Uh, we believe that giving is.